Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Let's continue to worship God as we open the scriptures. Um, We're in the book of Jonah. If you Open your Bible right to the middle. You'll probably hit the Psalms and then make your way rightward. Uh, You'll see Proverbs and then you'll start to see the prophets, the big guys, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the minor prophets. Um, That's where Jonah falls. They start Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and then Micah. So that's where he is within the Old Testament, like three quarters of the way through the Old Testament. And we're in Jonah chapter 1 verses 14 through 17. Last week, we looked at the first three verses of chapter one, and we saw Jonah's commissioning. We, we saw God commission Jonah to go to Nineveh. Uh, very often uh, within the scriptures and the narrative of these prophets' lives, we'll get to hear their commissioning story. Um, you think of Isaiah chapter six, a really famous scene where uh, Isaiah beholds the glory of the Lord. We're actually gonna study that, Lord willing, right after Easter, like three or four weeks Think about global missions in light of Isaiah's commissioning in Isaiah chapter 6. Well, that's what we saw last week in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jonah's commissioning. What's unique about Jonah's commissioning, however, is that he entirely resists it. And he flees in the opposite direction uh, from that where God called him. God called him to go to the pagan Gentile city of Nineveh within the Assyrian Empire the enemies, the rivals of God's people. God called him to go there. Um, However, Jonah goes the opposite direction. He flies westward, flies, I should say. He goes by boat uh, westward to the foreign city Tarshish to try to get as far away as he can from God's calling. However, we are gonna see how that works out for him. The the story continues in Jonah chapter one, verses four through 17. I wanna make a little note Um, because I I do think it's pertinent to this passage specifically. Um, If you're familiar with the English translation of the Bible, very often in the Old Testament, the translators will translate the word LORD in all caps, capital L-O-R-D, in all caps. And then other times, they'll translate the word LORD uh, with a capital L, but then lowercase O-R-D. So what's going on there? Well, when they translate it, capital L-O-R-D, all caps, they're translating the divine name Yahweh or Jehovah. Um, Yahweh is probably a more accurate pronouncement of that word, but it's also traditionally been referred to as Jehovah. This is God's divine name. This is the way he specially revealed himself to Israel in the book of Exodus, especially. Um, That's the all caps version. When it's capital L, then lowercase O-R-D, That's simply translating the word Adonai or Lord. So capital L, lowercase O-R-D, is a title. And when it's in all caps, it's his name. It's his specific name, Yahweh or Jehovah. So I make that note to you up front because it's relevant to the passage, but also because I'm going to kind of interchange Yahweh and Lord as I'm talking. So you know what I'm talking about. All right. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 17. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest upon the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. 
And the sailors hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the ship for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to Jonah, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So the sailors cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to Jonah, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And Jonah said to the sailors, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to Jonah, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then the sailors said to Jonah, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah said to the sailors, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to try to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore the sailors called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So the sailors picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is the role of fear in the life of faith? What is the role of fear in the life of faith? This is an interesting question to reflect upon because on the one hand, many, many times in Scripture, God or an angel will tell God's people, fear not. Don't be afraid. God is with you. God is for you. No need to fear. And you think of Famous verses like the one from 1 John chapter 4, the apostle says there, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So in these examples, and there's many more, fear seems to be a negative thing in the life of faith. On the other hand, it seems obvious that there is a critical need for fear in certain circumstances. So I remember taking driver's ed my freshman year of high school And these VHS tapes that must have been made in the 70s and 80s, they were played for us. They were films called Red Asphalt and Iron Graveyard. They were these videos of terrifying car crashes and the gruesome results from these crashes. Well, our driver's ed teacher was trying to scare us straight, right? They were trying to instill in us a necessary fear of automobiles, their power, their speed, and if not handled correctly, 
their danger. If you are totally fearless of this 3,000-pound hunk of metal flying down the highway at 70 miles an hour, if you have no caution, no alarm, no respect for this machine, then it can be deadly. So this is a positive kind of fear. And as we look at the full range of biblical teaching on fear, we see that, yes, there is a negative kind of fear, but there is also a positive place for fear. So in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, King Solomon famously says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, if you don't have any fear, any fear of God especially, you are not wise. You are a fool in the same way that if you don't fear the power and speed of an automobile, then you are a fool. Likewise, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, the apostle says, If you call on God as Father, Him who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So Peter here is talking to Christians. And he says, Hey, if you know God as Father, and you know God as an impartial judge, then you need to live before him with an amount of fear. Yes, he is our father who loves us, but he's also our father. And there is a respect and kind of fear we have before our dads. We don't just act and talk however we want when dad's around. So what is the role of fear in the life of faith? Well, we see in Proverbs and from Peter and also from this passage in Jonah chapter 1. Reverent fear is a healthy part of living faithfully. So are we to live before God in a constant state of abject terror? No, especially if we know God through faith in Christ. That's the point of that verse from 1 John chapter 4 when he says perfect love casts out fear. If we have experienced the perfect love of God through faith in Christ, then that love casts out from us the fear of God's judgment against our sin because Jesus died in our place. Perfect love casts out that kind of fear. However, that doesn't mean that we still don't owe God reverence and a kind of awe that is proper due to who he is, great, holy, mighty, and a kind of reverent fear due to who we are, humble, broken creatures. So reverent fear is a healthy part of driving a car safely, and it is a healthy part of living before God faithfully. And as we study these verses in Jonah chapter 1, we can easily see that fear, and more specifically the fear of God, plays a big part in the story. So we're asking this morning, what kind of people fear God? From this story, we can learn what kind of people fear God. And the first thing we see is that people who fear God are people who seek God with their questions. People who seek God with their questions. So you recall Jonah is on the run. He's fleeing from the call of God on his life. God wants him to reach out in mercy to the wicked Ninevites with a word of warning. But in chapter 1 verse 3 it says Jonah fled to the city of Tarshish, which, as I said, is in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Well, Jonah's going to get to Tarshish by boat. So he goes down to Joppa, finds a boat to catch a ride with, 
And that's where we pick up in verse 4. Jonah's going to Tarshish by boat, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest then on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So Jonah's running from God, and Jonah's finding out how well that works. God throws this great wind upon the sea, stirring up this mighty storm, and now Jonah's rebellious plans are about to break up as fast as the ship is about to break up. Verse 5, we see how the sailors respond to this. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So here we see three ways the sailors respond to this storm. And we should note, these sailors are not Jews. They are not, at this point, worshipers of Yahweh. Joppa was a Gentile city outside of the Promised Land, and we see here from them saying they cried out to their God that they're polytheistic. So that's what these... And we also know that sailors at least have a reputation for being sailors, having a mouth as filthy as a sailor. But let's see how they respond to this storm in response to Jonah. First, we see the sailors' emotional response of fear. It says the mariners were afraid. And understandably so, right? They know when a storm is deadly. They've been on the sea before. They know when they're okay and when things are not. And they don't want to die. So they fear this divine storm. We see their emotional response. Secondly, we see their spiritual response. It says that each cried out to his gods. So as I said, these guys are not worshipers of Yahweh, the God of Israel, but they are religious. And they have a spiritual response of crying out to their God for help. We see their emotional response. We see their spiritual response. And we see a practical response. It says they start throwing cargo off the ship in order to lighten the ship so that presumably it'll have a better chance to stay afloat. That's these pagan sailors' response to God's storm of judgment. Look at the rest of verse 5. See Jonah's response. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laying down and was fast asleep. So God is hurling his judgment at the rebellious Jonah, and Jonah is just sleeping it off. He sinks into himself. The storm surrounds him. His ship is breaking apart. His life hangs by a thread, but he's not bothered. He feels no alarm, no urgency. It's almost as if he's saying to himself, well, I can't outrun God by going to Tarshish on a boat, so I'll just slip into la-la land by sleeping. This reminds me of one of my favorite gifts. It's this random cartoon dog, and he's just sitting there sipping coffee, taking it easy. Everything's fine. Meanwhile, the house is burning down around him. Everything's fine. This is fine. Right. Okay. Keep telling yourself that. Well, that's Jonah. God's storm swirls around him, and he's dealing with it by not dealing with it, just sleeping it off. This is fine. Well, the captain of the ship doesn't think so. In verse 6, the captain comes down to the hull of the ship where Jonah is, and he says, What do you mean, you sleeper? 
Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps he'll give thought to us that we may not perish. So the irony is thick here, right? Jonah, the prophet of God, is rebuked by a pagan sailor. Jonah was the one supposed to be the doing the rebuking. The pagan Ninevites. But here he is getting rebuked by a pagan sailor. Then in verse 7, the rest of the sailors are back in the picture. And the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. They cast lots. It falls on Jonah. Then they said to Jonah, Tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you from? Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And then the sailors were exceedingly afraid. So again, we see the sailors are proactive. They are seeking answers. They want to know who caused God's judgment to come upon them like this. So they cast lots. They find out it was Jonah. Then they want to know from Jonah, why has this happened to us? What do you do? Where are you from? Who are your people? So these men are stirred up to ask questions, to seek answers. They feel fear before God's power. They feel urgency before God's judgment. In his book, simply titled Awe, A-W-E, author Paul Tripp teaches about how reverent fear or awe leads us to asking the sort of questions that moves us towards God instead of away from him. So in the opening chapter of his book, Tripp writes this, quote, If someone asked you what the two most important questions you could ask were, what would you answer? Well, if you were God's child, there may be no more important question than these two. What in the world is God doing right here, right now, and how in the world should I respond? That's his take on the two most important questions we can ask ourselves. What in the world is God doing right here, right now, and how in the world should we respond? Tripp notes that how we answer those two questions influences our understanding of God in the challenges of our lives, whether we will grow towards him or away from him in those challenging moments. He later writes, quote, that spiritual growth is about recapturing your awe or reverent fear toward God and what he's doing in your life. And you see the sailors are growing towards God because they're willing to ask questions of God in the middle of their circumstances. Jonah, however, moved away from God because he was unwilling to open himself up to what God might be doing and how he should respond to it. One moved towards awe and reverent fear, the pagan sailors, and one moved away from him, the prophet Jonah. And so, friends, we must ask ourselves, how are we responding to the challenges in our own lives? Are we seeking God, asking questions, seeking answers? Do we have a fearful urgency and alarm to hear from God and to understand what he's doing in our lives? Or we just sipping coffee like that goofy dog. Everything's fine. House is burning down. No need to panic, though. No need to have any fear. Like Jonah, just sleeping off the urgency, 
drifting in to your happy place, ignoring that God is trying to get your attention. Arise. Wake up, sleeper, and become a seeker. A seeker after God, one who asks questions of God, one who seeks answers from God, one who cries out to God. Jonah says that he fears the Lord, but his lip service, he doesn't fear God, he's running from God. He's ignoring God. What about us? What kind of people fear God? People who seek God with their questions. Secondly, people who call out to God in their struggle. People who call out to God in their struggle. So as the story continues, we're going to see that these pagan, polytheistic sailors stand in contrast to the prophet Jonah. Ironically, again, they exhibit more godliness and fervent spirituality than the prophet of God, Jonah. Specifically in the way they call out to him in their struggle. So the lot falls on Jonah. The sailors ask of him, who are you? What have you done? Jonah mentions that he's a Hebrew, a worshiper of Yahweh, the God of Israel, maker of heaven and earth. And when he says that, it's reported that the sailors were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what have you done? Because they found out he was running from Yahweh, the God he says that he fears. So these sailors were fearful of the storm, but now that they understand Yahweh is pursuing the rebellious Jonah, it says that they were exceedingly afraid. So they're afraid of this storm, but they are more afraid of God and that they are going to be collateral damage in God's dealing with Jonah. Even as pagans, they are perceptive and sensitive to the ways of God and they know that God is not to be trifled with. They think, if God is after Jonah, then we better get away from Jonah because nothing is going to stop God from getting him. But the sailors still don't totally know what to do, so they turn to Jonah in verse 11, and they ask him what they should do. And Jonah gives a simple solution. Throw me overboard. So Jonah, at this point, would rather die then submit to the Lord's will. Instead of saying, all right, guys, turn the ship around, take me back to Joppa so that I can go to Nineveh like the Lord wants me to, instead of making that humble turn of repentance, he would rather die. Just throw me overboard. That's how hardened Jonah was toward the Ninevites and ultimately how hard he was toward God. Well, the sailors graciously are reluctant to throw him overboard to his watery death, and they even try to find another option. It says in verse 13 that they tried to row back to shore, but they finally realized this is not working, and they submit to what must be done. Jonah has to be thrown overboard. However, before they throw Jonah overboard, they call out to God in prayer, and their prayer reveals a deeper spiritual seeking when you compare it with their earlier prayer. Instead of praying to gods, as they did in verse 5 when the storm first hit, this prayer in verse 13 is addressed to Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, the God of Israel. Furthermore, this prayer has specific content. It's not just a general crying out to God. This prayer has the specific request asking God not to hold them accountable for Jonah's sin. So essentially, they're asking for mercy for what they're about to have to do. And the prayer ends with a great statement, 
acknowledging God's sovereign freedom to do whatever he pleases. They say, you, Yahweh, have done as it pleased you, which is a direct quotation from many verses in the book of Psalms. So what we're seeing here is that as the sailors' condition worsened, because of their reverent fear, they cried out to God instead of running from him. Jonah is ignoring his struggle, sleeping in the boat. Jonah is giving up in his struggle, choosing to drown instead in the sea before he'll repent. And yet the pagan sailors are engaged in the struggle, seeking answers, crying out to God. They're demonstrating that even as Gentile heathens, they have more piety and more sincere reverence toward God than even the Hebrew Jewish prophet, Jonah. This reminds me of a scene from the life of Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is ministering in an area known as Capernaum. And here's how the story goes. This is Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. He writes, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, so this guy is not a Jew like these sailors. He's an unclean Gentile from Rome. He comes up to Jesus. He appeals to Jesus. He says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus said to the soldier, I will come and heal your servant. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one of my soldiers, go and he goes. To another, come and he comes. To my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, the Jews, will be thrown into outer darkness. In this place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you've believed. And his servant was healed at that moment. So this Roman, heathen, pagan, polytheistic Gentile has more faith than anyone in Israel, Jesus says. The Jews used to call Gentiles dogs. This dog, this Roman scoundrel, has more reverence for the authority of Christ than anyone in Israel, Jesus says. So church, this is meant to humble us. We are not better than anyone else. Anyone. And very often, the people who you think most fear God, like you think Jonah would, actually don't. And very often, the people who you'd think have no fear of God and no faith in God actually do, like the sailors. So do we really fear God? Or are we just giving him lip service? Are we really seeking and crying out to God? Or are we ignoring him and rebelling against him? People who fear God seek God with their questions. They cry out to God in their struggle. And finally, they respond with submissive worship. 
People who fear God respond to God with submissive worship. Picking it up in verse 15. The sailors tried to row to shore. They realize it's not going to work. They pray for forgiveness for what they're about to do. Then in verse 15, they pick up Jonah, hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. So these sailors have just witnessed a miracle. Without question, this qualifies as a miracle. To say this is a coincidence of timing is to put our heads in the sand. Because as soon as Jonah's overboard, this mighty, deadly storm comes to a calm. And having witnessed this, it says the sailors fear Yahweh exceedingly, and they then worship him. They make sacrifices to him. They make vows to him. So they swear themselves to Yahweh with a worshipful commitment, making sacrifices. And then another supernatural occurrence goes on underneath the water. In verse 17, it says that as Jonah sinks to his death, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah's gone down to Joppa, He's gone down into the boat. He's gone down into the sea and now down through the throat of this fish. And his rebellious death spiral has finally hit bottom in the belly of this sea creature. And again, I'm reminded of a conversation Jesus had in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders and these religious leaders ask Jesus, for a sign. They ask for a miraculous sign so that Jesus would prove he is who he says he is, the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus responds to their request in chapter 12, verses 39 through 40. Jesus says this to them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So Jesus here likens his death on the cross and his three-day, three-night burial in the tomb, he likens it to Jonah's burial in the sea and in the belly of the fish. And in the same way that Jonah's burial in the sea calmed the raging waters of God's judgment, so also Jesus' death on the cross and burial in the earth calms the raging waters of God's wrath against us and our sin. So you see the parallel. These two three-day, three-night burials in the earth in the gut of the fish that calmed the waters of God's wrath. They're parallel to one another. Jesus calls it the sign of the prophet Jonah. This burial in the sea, this burial in the earth that calms God's justice against us. So friend, do you want peace with God like a perfectly placid peacefully calm lake, then trust in Jesus. Like Jonah, 
Jesus dove headlong into the raging waters of God's wrath on our behalf, granting us to be as joyfully safe as those sailors on the boat after Jonah was overboard and the waters were calm. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Through his death, we have peace with God. Those pagan sailors saw what Jonah's death accomplished, the calming of the storm, and so they feared God and they worshiped him. And in the exact same way, we now behold the cross and what Jesus accomplished through his death, the calming of God's justice against our sin. And so we too reverently fear God and we joyfully worship him. Sovereign Lord, maker of the earth and the dry land, impartial judge, we come before you, God, with our heads bowed, with our hearts bowed. We are humbled before your majesty, before your might, before your glory. You are holy. You are righteous. You are wise. As a people, Lord, we humble ourselves before you in fear of you, in reverence before you, God. And Lord, too, we confess that like Jonah, we have not conducted ourselves in fear. We have ignored your work in our lives. We have slept off the questions we should have been seeking you with. Forgive us, Father, and wake us up by the power of your Holy Spirit. Wake us up from our slumber as we've heard the gospel preached over our lives. The good news of the greater Jonah who did not resist your call on his life. But Jesus fulfilled his calling. Jesus went to Nineveh. He came to earth. He preached. He lived. He died on our behalf. And so, Father, before the cross, we are humble. And before the cross, we are grateful. Grateful for your grace that constantly flows from there for rebellious sinners like Jonah, like us, like me. Cleanse us, God. Make our paths straight so that we could live for you and follow you despite our tendency to neglect you. And Father, now with one voice, We lift high your majesty, your glory, your holiness. We worship you with the reverence and fear. Do your name. So receive our praise. Receive our worship. Be glorified, we pray, in our song and in our living. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. 
Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.